Dog and Bone. Welcome to The Dog and Bone, a series of podcasts brought to you by Propeller Group. I'm Martin Lote, curator of The Dog and Bone. In each episode, you'll listen in to a conversation between two senior people at the sharp end of business change and transformation, with their permission, of course. Our two guests will chat and question each other as equals, exploring industry topics and stories from their careers. Hopefully, they'll dig up some tasty morsels for us to chew on. In this episode, we hear Kimberly Chris, former CMO of AEG Live and a C-level marketing consultant, in conversation with Mimi Turner, former journalist, head of comms at Northern and Shell, and marketing lead at the Lad Bible and Vice. Listen in as they chat about a crisis involving Kate Middleton, the hashtag MeToo campaign, inspiring leadership, and hiring burglars as security consultants. I think the, the best advice I've ever had, and it really stayed with me, was to be kind. I think that the people that we meet in, in work, we have the opportunity to get to know new people and to be part of a, an idea or, or a problem or a community. And in that environment, the idea about being kind meant the most to me because I think it's what I value. If people are kind to me, I always remember that. And it felt like it was something that I could just net-net, I could add into the system, and it made me happy. I, I think I'm a happier person when I'm kind, and I appreciate it in other people as well. I would have to say to have the confidence to trust your intuition. So many of us get bogged down in having the right rigor and, and, and the right you know, analysis and insights behind something. And not only does that take a lot of time, but it also doesn't allow you to really put your intuition into the mix of it. So I always say be spontaneous yet well-prepared. It's really interesting when you actually look back over decisions that you're really proud of, I bet you would find that there was a high correlation between the decisions that you made something new, you solved a new problem, where you did follow your instincts. I mean, a lot goes into guiding your instincts, but but I think you probably also remember the times when you didn't. And, uh, and sometimes if you don't follow your instincts and then later down the track you think, well, actually, I, I was right, then you feel like you doubly made the mistake. And that's happened to me so many times because I'm like, you know what? We spend all this time on all this research and focus groups and yet I knew that answer all along. You know, you just don't stand up sometimes and have the confidence to say, come on guys, this is it. Let's move forward. Let's act decisively and let's make it happen now. I think we know when we can get something over the line. Yeah, yeah. I think so many brands create amazing brands. They spend a lot of time understanding consumers and, and creating that external, you know, culture, but they don't spend enough time on the internal culture. And I think that really hurts employees. I think that's when people get scared to make chances and choices that, you know, are based on their intuition, that are a little bit more curious and creative than not. And I think that's that's really sad. I think companies need to spend more time building their internal culture just as much as they do building their external culture. I think it's when we see a winning company, that it has a winning culture. There was a really interesting piece in um, Vanity Fair, I, I guess about a year ago, about Facebook in the early days. Um, and when, actually, I think it was when Google was launching Google Plus, and Facebook felt for a period of time that actually this was a genuine threat. And um, I think Mark Zuckerberg got people in, and everybody went in at the weekends. They stayed late. They were they were kind of an army in a fight. And I think I, I advise lots of companies on strategy and to really understand what their point of view is and how they express that through their products, through their people, through their operations. But unless a company can compel that in its people, that when we think there's a, a systemic problem or issue or challenge, that everybody comes to the plate, 
then I think the company who does have that will eventually win. They might not be the biggest at that point point in time, but a company with that culture uh, and a clear understanding of why we're fighting for something, I think that's a winning thing. When companies become defined by what they do, uh, then there are very few rewards for changing what you do. There's a lot of inertia about what you do. Unless you really are fighting for the why of what you do, it becomes very easy, easy for in a short period of time for companies which have led fields to become companies that we don't remember anymore. One of the topics that's pretty hot right now, and I, I'm sure you and I both you know, have tackled this in, in our careers, is women in the, in the boardroom, women in organizations. And I think it's really interesting that you've worked at some very male-oriented companies. I mean, you are at the, at the Lad Bible. You can't get more male-oriented <laughs> than that by any means. Um, and and, and some, the likes of some other amazing companies. So I'd love to get your you know, opinion on what do you think the role is right now for the female you know, in the boardroom, in these organizations? Is it the right balance of, of male-female? Should we have a quota system? You know, people are talking about that now. I'd love to get your opinion on that. I have worked in increasingly very male environments to the extent that um, I'm very rarely in meetings where there are other women or, or on management teams where there are other women. And that might be partly because they're, as you say, the Loud Bible is very much a male audience and male platform. Vice is more male than I, I think it thinks it is. <laughs> uh, and I'm working with a sports publisher now, which is a very big um, you know, male cohort. I'd say two things. One is that I have largely found them to be fabulous environments. And I think that one of the things that troubles me about the Me Too, um, even though I think that that kind of movement has, has changed perception, is that I think it opens the door to this very false perception that all guys just basically are bad guys and that we've got to call them out. Um, and I think that there's some delicate um, negotiation to be done between men and women because the history of men and women working together is really, really small and we don't spend that much time with the set of professional rules wrapped around us where we even interact as, as human beings. So I think, you know, we've got to, we, 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 we've got to get better at that. But I think that environments can be very exciting. You know, you can get... Um, a huge amount of positivity, a huge amount of ability to take risk, a huge amount of ability to strike out and try something new, which may be kind of tracked to a male cohort. But what I would say is that all environments, I think, are made better by diversity because what you get is you get a lot of people who are tribally similar. And so they all have the same blind spots Mm -hmm. and they generally don't have diverse points of view and if your consumers are diverse you need your people to be diverse if your audience is diverse as a media platform you need your people to be diverse and what I think we need is not small numbers of women or Indian people or ethnic people in, in you know added to every environment like a sort of a little bit of a little bit of a mix actually I think businesses would be really benefited if they had large groups of bias in you know white male is a large bias I'd like to put some other female ethnic different gender biases so you have a group where 70 percent is of an ethnic minority because what we want at the end of the day is to get better decision making we've got nothing to control it against we've got no controls to to a a largely white largely male largely Mm -hmm. um well organized sort of population i want to statistically see what happens when we do something different i think different is not just slightly different i don't think you see the power of different unless you've got an environment that's very different to the point that you were saying about how companies don't want to think differently 
you have to challenge some ingrained points of view. Businesses with very ingrained points of view are businesses that eventually just cease to exist because their point of view, you know, starts out not aligning and then it ends up, you know, over time being very, very different from the majority of a community or a business or a set of consumers. Unless you're actually going to have five women to say, actually, we don't think that's going to work. And interestingly, what Me Too was, was a large cohort of women all saying the same thing. We might argue with whether we think it's the right thing or the wrong thing. And men might say, well, actually, we didn't see it that way. I don't think I am that guy. I think everybody liked me, really. But um, but when you have a large cohort of a difference of opinion, that inevitably changes things. And it's a large bias. Me too is a large bias. And once you introduce a large bias, everybody has to rethink themselves. Because, And I think what you see is a lot of guys asking themselves, could I possibly have been one of those guys? I thought I thought I was just popular. I thought people just liked me, and that's why they were nice to me. So you mentioned Me Too. It's a big topic right now, and companies are actually being called out, you know, on this. What advice, you know, would you give a company right now that's either being called out on it or is probably about to be called out on it? First of all, it's a really, really big question, and I think that we know we're going to see more. And I think, you know, what we've seen happening in the U.S. with even, you know, the, you know. TV stars and anchors who were considered to be beyond risk actually being fired. This is where a company culture is really called to account because if you're the kind of company that just throws people under the bus, then when something like this happens, there's a huge um, kind of, we should just get rid of that person. I don't think the court of public opinion should be the place where these judgments are made. I think there has to be a process, there has to be an internal investigation, there has to be a balance. People have, if they need lawyers, they have to have lawyers. And I think you need to, to go through the process formally in a way that gives everybody the sense that they were fairly treated. Because if we allow, you know, a couple of people to say this was bad and we don't go through any rigor in investigating or, or making that person uh, express whether they felt they were accountable, I think we will make terrible mistakes. And that would be an example of me too working in the short term, but not in the long term. Our long term has to be to treat everybody fairly evenly, if we can, kindly, certainly honestly, and absolutely uh, with respect. And I think that there may well be a large number of men in a number of different industries who have abused their power. I don't think that's a contentious statement. But even those guys should be taken through a formal process where they have a right to reply and people have a right to say this is what happened and that shouldn't be in the public domain. I think that should be done with due diligence and care. No, and I agree. But I also, on the flip side of this, and you might, you know, this might be a little contentious point, but this is my my personal belief, if you may, that some of this that's coming out now, especially in in the U.S. because it's just predominant there right, right now, people are being quite litigious. And I've found that the people, some of the people that are being litigious now that are coming out and saying, yeah, that happened to me too, now they're at the pinnacle of their career. They're really successful. When it was happening, they were quite low and they, they just kind of went along with it probably. But now they're saying, hey, I've been there, I've gotten what I needed, now I'm going to come out and, and say that. And I think that's not fair. I think that's not fair. I think there should be a, a window of time that people have to either say this happened or this didn't happen. You know, 20 years later, when you're finally successful and you've you've gotten what you need to come out and be litigious and say, hey, by the way, that happened to me. I think that's that's not okay. And I think that opens up the door for so many other things 
poorly to happen, not only in, in the public domain, but in the private domain, in the, in the boardrooms today. And I think you're right. We have to start with creating the culture. We have to give everyone the, the right to kind of get the right legal support, to have the right kind of protection around them. But I think if we start now to be kind, to be human, to be humble, you know, we can lay down the right groundwork today while still dealing with this problem that we have to deal with, this elephant in the room, if, if you may. But I think we need to do those things simultaneously. I think we're looking at the elephant in the room too much and not dealing with, hey, how do we fix the problem today so we don't have that tomorrow? And you've had a lot of experience working with a myriad of of leaders from all different sectors. So I'd be really curious to find out what what you think makes a, a, a leader really a truly great leader. I think a clarity of vision, absolutely a clarity of vision and the ability to communicate not just a vision to other people, but to excitement about that vision. And I think that leadership, especially uh, in, in global businesses, requires a lot of a lot of meeting, lots of different constituents. And I think also there's a there's an element where you're a lot less able to manage, you know, on a P&L basis, operational function. Um, but you are much more able to to build that glue and that thesis of what the business is there for and what it's there to do. And I think if you can keep scaling that vision and keep the business from detaching itself from that vision, then I think everybody in the business has a better chance of understanding what it is that they're trying to do. And I think that necessarily makes for better outputs. Yeah, I agree. I think having a vision is absolutely critical. And I think you touched on something that was really cool before, because I think so many leaders have the vision, but don't inspire people with the vision. And I think the combination of the two is so powerful, but without the inspirational part of the vision, it just goes flat. No one knows what to do. No one embraces it. You need to inject that dynamism in it. And I think that's what's lacking today in so many corporations around the world. I think it does come down to trust to be able to trust people to make decisions. You'll have actually a lot more of oversight in this, but I think in very consumer-facing businesses, the culture and the strategy and the vision and the sense of brand that's in the boardroom is very different from, you know, if you're the person who's making the lattes in Starbucks or if you're the person on the um, checkout at Asda, there are maybe 10 steps of management between those two groups of people. But I would really argue that the people who are customer facing and who have an optimism about the culture do far more to express that culture to the consumers. And I think that's the most important relationship because that's the largest number of people who meet the largest number of your customers. And I don't think businesses invest in those people. And I don't think they invest in making those people feel part of something. And, and I think that if you did, we all recognize now that a product's not just a product, it's a product experience. And people are really part of product experience. And if you don't get that part right, you know, a lot can go wrong. Yeah, I agree. I think you got to get out behind, you know, your computer. Stop answering your emails, right? <laughs> Stop writing PowerPoint decks and get on the front line. Get under the skin of the business. Talk to the people. We spend so much time just talking in board meetings, yet we're not listening to what's happening on the front line. And there's so much you can learn. I mean, I was working in a restaurant business and I'd go from meeting to meeting, email to email, presentation to presentation. And yes, you, you accomplish things and you're, you're moving on the KPIs, which is very important. But at the end of the day, I learned so much and was able to impact the business by talking to the store managers, by talking to the servers, by talking to the customers. I mean, I learned significantly more by doing that two days a week than the other days in board meetings. Having to integrate 
digital, social, mobile, all those different customer touch points into the product journey becomes something that the CMO is skilled to do because I think that CMOs don't always come from, they don't come from technically, they don't come with all these subsets and backgrounds. So you did some revolutionary stuff. How did you find, how did you embrace the scale of the problem? Yeah, that, that's a that's a good topic, to be honest with you. And it's a challenge for, for a lot of CMOs. Um, I think the role of the CMO is to bring all of these experts together with a holistic strategy and holistic vision. Because what you're finding and where the trap is for a lot of CMOs is they're doing things on mobile, they're doing things somewhere else on digital, they're doing things um, above the line, and nothing's connected. And and that's a big problem. And then consumers can see that straight on. So they have an inconsistent journey with the brand, and then they're going to go somewhere else. And then all of a sudden, they're not getting the KPIs. They're seeing a decrease in loyalty. They're seeing a decrease in sales. And now the, the, the CMO is probably on their way out. So I have learned to find experts in those areas. So I think digital, is, you need an expert in digital. I don't think there's one CMO out there unless they, they were a digital expert first and then became the, the, the CMO. But I'll tell you right now, you're going to hire a 20-year-old that's so much smarter that's on top of this stuff who's playing with this every day because it's the landscape is constantly changing i want someone who can write algorithms in their sleep right and wakes <laughs> up at 3 a.m and says oh kimberly i have the great idea for crm right now that's the that, those are the type of people you want on your team so i say hire the right experts in verticals yes. and as a cmo it's your job to wrap it all up and create that holistic customer journey that's spot on to your brand that delivers results commercially and that allows you to play the long-term game while delivering in the short term absolutely agree and I'm a big fan of the CMO role I've actually done a couple of CMO roles there's a product CMO there's a brand CMO that even within that same job description are many different roles but I, I think that to take that holistic view of a brand and to execute it through specialisms is a really exciting challenge and I think you could look at any business and if that was the role and that was the scope you think actually yes I know how and why and what I think this should look like. So we were talking about games and yeah. the, the other day we were talking about playing chess not checkers right? Yes. and so many CMOs yeah. just have this team they inherit it you come in of course it's happened to both of us you inherit this team and then you just move people around like checkers they move back and forth no one has their right position and you kind of say dip into this today dip into that tomorrow but playing chess is so much different this is where the CMO needs to play they need to play chess not checkers because in chess everyone has their own role they're quite distinct the pieces do certain things and that's why I say put the experts in those verticals play chess with your team not checkers and it's really really important it's hard for people to do not not all CMOs have the courage to do that and I think that's important and you were talking about being a good leader and being kind part of being kind is to understand what people's strengths are on your team play to those strengths if they don't have the right skill sets for that try to figure out where else they can be placed in the organization and put the right people on your team because if without the right people on your team you're not going to succeed We've talked about things that are going wrong in society and in media, and both you and I have probably had situations happen that said, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening to me now. Um, and, and it was quite a challenge, you know, whether it was in an organization or while you were at one of the, one of the papers that, they, that you've worked at or the magazines. Um, you know, what was that, that challenge, that, that moment that you said, how am I ever going to deal with it? And, and how did you deal with it? Because this is something that we've both faced numerous times, I'm sure. Well, yeah, I, I was actually thinking about this question, and um, 
it's entirely possible that I'm completely in denial about all the mistakes I've made, but I, but nothing really, really came um, to the top of my mind. But I can I give you an example of what two and a half hours in a crisis looks and feels like. So um, this was uh, a Saturday uh, when I was at Northern Shell, and we got the call saying that um, the Daily Star Sunday in Ireland had published pictures of Kate Middleton topless. Uh, we had a part ownership of that business. Uh, we had no clue or no kind of editorial involvement, so we didn't know whatever they were publishing. And it was a crisis because it was on Sky News, so that's how much of a crisis mm-hmm. it was. It goes from naught to 90. Um, and actually, at that point, it was a really huge issue for the business. And what happened is that the chairman, who's the founder of the business, responded very quickly. He responded very quickly and responded in such a way that empowered everybody to be very clear that this was not something that we endorsed. It was a terrible thing to have happened and that we were very apologetic. And had he not been incredibly responsive in the middle of an afternoon on Saturday when he was on holiday, we would not have known how to respond to that truthfully and but once we were able to respond to that truthfully then you are able to mitigate the problem and to you know by the end of that afternoon we'd actually not only stopped being the you know the evil bad guys but we'd bought ourselves a sense that we cared about this that a thing had happened that we cared about and that we wanted to address and that we were willing to address and we wouldn't stop until it had been sorted so that was the narrative and i think sometimes what happens in that situation is at the end of the day when actually it's all it's gone calm you realise that actually even our abilities to solve these big problems are very dependent on luck. They're hugely dependent on fortune and circumstance. So supposing he'd been travelling and on a plane, or supposing somebody hadn't been able to communicate, or supposing we hadn't been able to make that decision, we would have been in a very different situation. So sometimes I think it's not victory. I admire people, I envy people who feel, wow, I won everything. But in those moments where I've snatched victory from the jaws of defeat, I didn't think, gosh, I'm a winner. I felt, wow, everything could just as easily... Have gone the other way. Have gone the other way. Mm-hmm. And I, I recognise that that as a feeling that happens. And I think it might help people to, to know that even when it's gone great, you know that it could have been differently. And I think that makes us slightly more aware of our humanity. When something goes really, really horribly wrong, we should just reference that memory and say, I got lucky that time. Perhaps this person didn't get lucky. Maybe it wasn't all their fault. Maybe we, we have a huge tendency to blame. Uh, and so, maybe we should step back from that. So I find, too, that when, and I'll give you an example, this is funny. So I, and I do believe a lot of it's luck, but sometimes it actually turns out to give you something that you hadn't thought of before, and it makes you smarter for it. So I'll give you an example. I was at um, one of the largest, you know, companies that does home alarms, right? Mm-hmm. Smart connected alarms. And we found that someone was hacking into the alarm. So yeah. they weren't working and they were looking at people through the cameras and really horrible stuff. I mean, customers started calling from, we're in 14 countries. Like people were calling in all different languages, telling us how upset they are. That's a huge blow to the business. The press was talking about it. Um, so we, we quickly figured out what was going on and we were able to put a, put a stop to that and give people reassurance. But what it did do was teach me and said, hey, you know what? I didn't realize our systems could be hacked into. That's that's darn scary. That's not okay. We're selling peace of mind. That, yeah. I'm not giving my customers peace yeah. of mind now. Yeah. So what we did was go ahead and hire actual hackers and real burglars. I've literally had burglars. I'm <laughs> interviewing burglars. This was the craziest thing in my career to come in. For, <laughs> this is a job interview. I'm interviewing a burglar. And to come in and say, hey, I want you to hack into my system. 
tell me what's working, what's not. And I'll tell you, we built a better system than we could have ever done if that incident hadn't happened. So sometimes these things turn out to be serendipitous. I think you have to have a really strong approach to actually solving the problem. And I think the danger is sometimes if the CMO isn't a supported role and the business isn't thinking long term, they're not going to say this isn't okay. Actually, the critical thing in all the things that you said is that I said, this is not okay. I'm selling peace of mind and this is not peace of mind. The day that you make that decision, that's the day you earn all the money you ever earn. Because if you don't make that decision, then the business is going to erode its own potential. That's why I think the CMO job is profoundly important. So important. And it's more important to check your ego. You've been there, done that. You're the CMO now, right? You've climbed the corporate ladder. Your focus should be on delivering to your customers every single day. Am I doing the best I can possibly do for my customers? Which is why I said, no, we're not giving peace of mind. This is absolutely atrocious. I don't feel comfortable working here if I can't deliver peace of mind. And you've got to keep your eye on that, that ball because at the end of the day, that's my boss. The customer has the ability to fire the entire company by not yeah. buying our products anymore. It's not the CEO. Yeah. It's the customer that has the ability to fire you. And I think that's where people need to focus. You know, that really needs to be what you deliver on and look at every single day. What can I do differently for my customers? I, I want to work for you now, Kimberly, because I think you're right. The customer can fire you any day of the week. That's the boss. And that's it. Yeah. Well, this has been cool. <laughs> this has been great. It's been good talking to you, Mimi. Thanks for joining us on The Dog and Bone. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you have any questions or suggestions, do get in touch via our website, dogandbone.dog. Or send us an email at woof at dogandbone.dog. <laughs>